everybody. Welcome to F-Bomb, the podcast, episode number six or five, depending on how you count it. First episode was episode zero, so I guess this is episode five. Uh, sitting across from me here is uh, F-Bomb producer and my brother, Big Rob, Rob Castoria. Everybody say hello, Rob. Hello, Rob. How you doing? <laughs> Happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Yeah, man. Tommy Von Voigt just left, and uh, now two for one. Now we'll have a bunch of episodes so I can start uploading them, and I got to get, you know, all that shit started with the podcast. Can we curse on here if it need be? As much as you want. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fuckers. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll be doing some cursing. I'm sure. It's an F-bomb. Yeah. We. Uh, I said it's uh, mandatory. The name of the show is F-bomb, for God's sake. Okay. Fuck. Fuck. There we go. Let's try that again. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. Motherfucker. Motherfucker. Queens. Queens. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm uh I'm having a little sip of whiskey. Just cause I felt like it. <laughs> Helps keep my voice nice and good. Smooth for the radio. <laughs> so all right, Rob, welcome to F Bomb Podcast. Thank you. You know, I usually start these out talking about people's uh childhood and their youth and growing up talking about getting into music and you know mm -hmm. end up talking about f-bomb at the end but let's talk a little bit about where you're from what your family is from what, what your parents did you know your your formative years growing up okay uh born and raised in ozone park queens uh -huh. um my father was a stockbroker my mother Worked until I was born, uh, until I got married, and then she was a stay-at-home mom. I, uh, Sicilian and Napolitan, if that... Yes, is, it's some kind of Italian thing. Yeah, it's Italian. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I grew up a uh, very musical family. My, uh, my grandmother played um, violin in, a, in an orchestra. And she always uh, pushed for the children to uh, learn an instrument of some sort. Okay. So, and how many siblings do you have? I have one sister. I didn't even know older. that. Yeah, she's 17 years older than me. Wow. And uh, she plays piano. And uh, my cousin, who I grew up with, who was kind of like my sister um, growing up, um, she plays piano also. We both started, I started playing guitar. I actually wanted to play drums. The custodian at my public school, PS124. In Ozone Park, Queens. South Ozone Park, yeah. South Ozone Park. <laughs> he, uh, I'm from he, Whitestone. I don't know these little areas. Yeah, it, it, Ozone Park School. And uh, um, the custodian wanted to give me free drum lessons when I was in second grade. And uh, my mother was totally against uh, the noise. So I went for something a little more quiet, the, the guitar. Right. So I started in third grade in 1978, I believe it was. Peterson's House of Music on 102nd Street and Jamaica Avenue. And uh, I'm actually still in contact with my first guitar teacher now. Her name is Kathy Serpico. Uh, she, uh, she taught me. You know, I did all the sight reading, the theory and everything. And... Um, I always tell people I've done something probably nobody in their life could say they ever done in in sixth grade. My class did a project for Earth Day, and they sang a song about saving whales to the tune of Stairway to Heaven. And my friend and I played Stairway to Heaven on a guitar while my class sang at Lincoln Center in front of over a thousand people. Wow. So that was pretty cool. That's cool. That reminds me of this uh, this joke from the show that bad news it's like the young ones they did like a spinal tap type of thing okay and the guy's like uh i learned how to play stairway to heaven when i was 10 and jimmy page didn't even write it till he was 21 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he i guess he wrote it for jimmy page yeah <laughs> but um what was the first guitar you owned first guitar i owned actually was made by well it was a honer acoustic guitar mm -hmm. then i bought an electric guitar um it was made by Cameo. It was a Gibson SG copy, and I was heavily into ACDC. Uh, and Malcolm just passed yesterday. Yeah, rest yeah. in peace, Malcolm. Great, big influence, amazing, solid guitar player. 
and it was actually burgundy with the black pick guard, okay. just like Angus Young's. And then um, I bought uh, a fuzz box that was like the old school distortion pedals. And I put DiMarzio Super Distortions and a DiMarzio PAF humbucker in this Gibson SG copy because I thought I was Joe Metalhead because I could play Smoke on the Water and Dirty Deeds and stuff like that. But uh, that was like my my father told me, he says, I'll get you that guitar and then if you're serious about it, uh, we'll get, you know. A How old one. were you around then? Uh, I was in sixth grade, so 1982, I was 11. Okay. Going on 12. Right. And um, I played in a couple of um, recitals for the music school. Um, in 1980 and uh received a silver medal i actually played the song called big rock candy mountain I'm and i hit one I wrong note so i got a silver medal instead of a gold medal oh okay i still have it hanging in my room wow and in seventh and eighth grade i stopped playing guitar when i got into ninth grade i wanted to be eddie van halen so i took lessons and um i bought my first real guitar which was a kramer pacer because eddie van halen used kramer Okay, but this is around the time that 1984 came out, yeah? Yeah. Diaper uh, Down, 1984, in that time period? Yeah, but I, I mean, when I first heard the first Van Halen, I was blown away. Right. And, it, you know, I, I saw a lot of my friends, and my cousin actually got me into all of this stuff. He was, uh, I was raised, like when I was seven, eight years old, I was listening to uh, Jimi Hendrix, Black Sabbath, Boston, the cars, whatever was Jethro Tull, Leonard Skinner, whatever he had in his house, record right. collection, I used to play. Um, what kind of music did your parents listen to? Um, my father liked the, my father was older. He, he had me when he was 55. Uh-huh. So he listened to like um, Glenn Miller, you know, like the big band stuff. Right. And my mother, and, and sometimes they listen to country music, but my mother is... Um, Big into like Frank Sinatra, uh, Jerry Vale, Tony Bennett, <clears throat> mob um, hits, the yeah, mob hits, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mario Lanza, yeah, and uh, you know I love all of that stuff too. Like if you look at my Rosemary Clooney, all that stuff, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have everything from like rock and roll to jazz to death metal, punk rock, and Frank Sinatra and everything, uh, house music, techno and. Yeah, I'm good. You know, a lot of metalheads only listen to heavy metal. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty well seasoned. Yeah, you, you know, you got to listen to a whole variety of things, or else you're just listening to the same shit over and over again. I guess. Yeah, and and, and it broadens your your playing because you get influences from all different genres. Sure. Um, I always said I, I said it on my first CD. I put a quote: "Diversity is the key to true musicianship," and I'm a firm believer about that. I hear that. I mean, I've, I've definitely listened to a lot of different things over my time. You know, remember we drove back from Texas. We were singing me and you new words to most of the songs on the yeah. radio or the iPod or whatever, and we're like we noticed. Yeah, all right, I remember this. It was good. We had the shuffle. Yes. Um, one of the questions that I ask everybody that I've interviewed so far is, "What is the first piece of music you remember buying yourself, like intentionally?" That you wanted, that you went out, and I'm like, I'm going to get this record, or I'm going to get this there 45. Were three. There were three. Was it was, it? Um, you know, like I'm talking about, like, after you stopped just listening to the radio, and you're like, I'm going to start buying music, you know? Yeah, when I, my first three albums I will never forget buying were Black Sabbath, Paranoid, Led Zeppelin Four, and Judas Priest, Rockerola. Did you buy those all on the same day? or just, Yes, one, two, three. Wow, four. that's cool. That's a pretty good day. Yeah, so during the summer, my father used to take me to work with him sometimes. By uh, he worked at One Twenty Broad Broadway or something like that. We used to go to J and R Music World okay. on Park Row. So <clears throat> I had the three albums. I was like, ah, oh. vinyl, vinyl, cool. Which I hate myself because I had about twelve hundred vinyl albums and I sold them all years ago. Yeah, well, that's painful. Very. I wish I had held on to my vinyl. Just joking, there's a whole bunch behind you. I, I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think those three records meant to you, like in terms of influencing your future musical progression? Well, uh, I mean, Led Zeppelin, 
you know, it's pretty I, much a record everybody had. Yeah, it, you know, it, it was I mean, kind of like up one of the Queens, staples. You know, you know, Black Dog and uh, Stairway to Heaven and stuff like that. Yep. It, it just had like everything going on over there, and uh, um, Black Sabbath was just like, like you didn't hear anything that heavy, and uh, back then it was evil, you know, and it really like uh, to this day Tony Iommi is one of my favorites, and uh, and Judas Priest, they mixed everything, kind of like the Sabbath sound and the Zeppelin sound with these operatic vocals and to this day Judas Priest is still my favorite band of all time I mean that album is a different kind of record for well, yeah, the rest Alan, of their stuff Alan Atkins was singing on it sure I mean he didn't sing on that but he wrote those lyrics mostly and I think Sad Wings of Destiny is when they really became you know the Judas blueprint for heavy yeah. metal but yeah. I really like Rock and Roll I think it's a good record man yeah yeah and then it's like you listen to Deep Freeze it's just like the weird guitar like yep. dive bombs and stuff and it's like kind of trippy yeah, that album's kind of, you know, old acid rocky type of thing, yeah. Hendrix vibes. So, like, when you were going to school, um, were you one of the rocker kids originally, or did you just kind of turn into one, or was it um, a neighborhood thing? Did they, well, no, did you it, fall into the rocker crew? To tell you the truth, when, growing up from kindergarten to uh, sixth grade, um. In South Dozen Park, I was one of the five whites in the whole school. So I grew up liking the rock and roll for my cousin. But the um, the culturally diverse school I went to, we listened to like Stevie Wonder and uh, um, Sister Sledge and all, all this all this different stuff. And I liked everything, Donna Summer, all, all that stuff. And uh, then in junior high, I was just kind of like, you know, I still like rock and roll but I wasn't into it into it and then uh, when I by the time I hit high school I was you know, full-fledged uh, metalhead so to speak sure the well, long hair the MC jacket the different rock shirt every day and I mean that's kind of when our story intersects through a friend of ours yes right because in high school I went to art and design with the singer of your band that you had when you were in high school yeah which was I, called metal storm right yeah I think I got in a metal storm <clears throat> Which is 1985, uh, and uh, that's you know uh, Greg Petrowski. Greg Petrowski, and I think he's a year older. Yeah, you're a year older. Yeah, I'm a year older. So uh, when we became friends, it was kind of like that whole. That's kind of how we started talking to each other, really. Yeah, I think I remember our earliest conversations were like, "You knew Greg Petrowski," and you're like, "Yeah, you know." And then I come to find out, you know, a lot of other people I went to high school with too, like Marie Savino and. And Patty Catania. Patty Catania, uh, right. Yeah, yeah that whole crew. All of them. Yeah, it's uh, funny. It's a small world. It is. I say it's big world, small scene is what I usually exactly. say. Exactly. You know, and a lot of those people are still, you know, they're cool because, you know, they're cool people because we're still friends with them 40 years later. Right. I just saw them at my reunion. Some of them. Uh, yeah. Not Greg, but Patty and uh, Marie yeah. were there, you know. Yeah, Marie comes to a lot of the F-bombs. Yeah, and, yeah, she's... She's still out there being supportive and Yeah, she's cool as hell, man. Yeah. We love Marie. Marie, if you're listening. If you're listening, what's up, Marie? <laughs> Marie Savino, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, was Metal Storm your first band? Or did you start I jammed with a couple of neighborhood kids before Metal Storm and this is before I got my Kramer guitar, so I still had that cameo guitar. And we played um like uh, we jammed to like Quiet Riot, uh, and uh, you know, the everybody does Living After Midnight, Breaking the Law, and sure, ACDC. Yeah, well, we didn't do that. We did like these three songs, and we never left the basement of this guy's house. We jammed a couple of times, and I remember what pushed me forward to learn guitar, um, like to get into it really. Heavy was uh, the guys I jammed with said, "Oh, we're gonna get this guy Chris to play guitar." I was like, "What does Chris know how to play?" He goes, "Anything we want him to," and it kind of made me feel like, "Whoa, I didn't know the songs." So I was like, "All right, that's it. You do that." I started learning all these songs, and then I got asked to join Metal Storm, and uh, we we were together from well, I was in a band from '85 until we broke up, and I believe beginning of 1990 mm -hmm. 
And then, uh, do you have any recordings from that stuff? Yes, I have. Uh, we did three demos. Um, one was a two-track live, and the other two were uh, eight-track, uh, reel-to-reel. And I have them, you know, stored on my computer. And I even burned them onto a CD. And the quality isn't great, but, I mean, for back then it was like high-tech shit. And, um, you know, once in a while I'll listen to them. Mm -hmm. And actually, with my band now, Maniac Rise, two of our songs are old Metal Storm songs. Um, song Burial I wrote in 1986. It was the first song I ever wrote. And this other song, Silent Assailant, was 1987. And I changed them just a Tweaked them. Tweaked them, yeah, a tiny bit, but, you know, the lyrics and the music are still the same other than that. Well, you got to send me some of that stuff, and I'm going to cut it in to the episode. All right, I'll yeah. play a song from Metal Storm, you tell me which one, and I'll <coughs> drop it into the show somewhere. Yeah, yeah, that'd be Once cool. I cut them up, because, you know, I have the backlog of, like, five other episodes. I'm going to go through them all and set them up so we can put them out. Cool. <laughs> podcast but you know to promote f-bomb and oh, also yeah, obviously to promote myself as a as audio caster yeah as an <laughs> audio personality uh i just want to interview like all the people that do f-bombs and all the musicians that we hang out with in new york and let them tell their stories you know well if the if the musicians we hang out with won't show up <laughs> <laughs> well as long as they show up for f-bombs yeah tommy was just saying you know how frustrating it is when people don't show up when they yeah, commit to do our show it's a pain in the ass. And then they are like, eh, you know, my yep. father's very sick. And it's like, I thought your father 
was very sick. Last time you didn't show up to an F bomb. Yeah, like six grandmothers died in the past yeah, year. You, have, you, know? you only get four. <laughs> or two. <laughs> three. Three. Yeah, three, three. Three. Well, you know, you never know nowadays. Yeah. You might have a conjoined grandparent. That's another reason why uh, I, I think you and I get along well, because it's like, if I told you I'm going to be here at 5 o'clock, I'll be here at 5 o'clock. Right. If I'm going to be late, I'll call you or whatever, but I will be here. And if you tell me you're going to be somewhere, I'm not like worrying a couple of days before, is he going to show up? Well, where, where is he? And you'll show up. You know, sure. Not too many people are reliable. I try to be, man. You know. Yeah, I, I try also. You know. We uh, so far we've made two trips out of town together, and they've come off fine. So yeah, we didn't kill each other, you know? and we're still friends. <laughs> yeah, and then we took our girlfriends out of town. Yeah, it was cool, very relaxing, I might add. Except for that guy in the woods, looking at us, <laughs> dude. Telling you, dude. Chupacabra was out there. It was so. a chupacabra. Me and Rob did see a chupacabra. Yeah. And then during the day, it turned into a bird feeder. It was a very strange animal. There was something behind it, man. I'm telling you, bro. <laughs> There's something in the woods. It was. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we leave off. We're in Metal Storm. Yes. Now, you've told me before, and I'm not sure where the timeline is, but you stopped playing for a long time. Yes. You got deeply into, like, working at a strip club and being a bouncer and hip-hop. Yeah. That took over your whole I, thing. You switched up from metal. Well, what happened? Tell me about, is that the next step from Metal Storm? Or is there more music before that happened? No, Metal Metal Storm, we broke up in like 1990. And um, I started like working out and going to regular clubs. I cut my hair. Uh, and then I got into like the whole, uh, you want to say wise guy shit in the neighborhood. You can and say whatever you want on this podcast. Yeah, so. I started the statute bouncing. of limitations, or uh, you know. Yeah, I you know I um I got into some talk whatever you're comfortable shit. with. There's going to be twelve people listening to this. Oh my god! <laughs> um, I started bouncing at clubs, and then I started bouncing at a strip club, and then you probably stripping at a strip club. No. Yeah, but I, I didn't shave my legs, so they fired me. <laughs> um. In 1996, I got into a hardcore band, Fuse. Okay. And I was in that band for like a year, maybe a little more than a year. But then we had the blizzard of 96, so I worked for sanitation, and I was working 12 hours a day, seven days a week. So we kind of did a mutual where I left the band, and then they played like one or two shows, and then they kind of fizzled out. And that's when I stopped playing guitar from probably about 97 until... 2006 so I was just hanging out um, in with a lot of rapper friends uh, Dark Age Entertainment uh, Royal Flush Tommy Two-Face uh, Johnny Handsome and we hung out and it was it was a good time don't get me wrong but I picked up the guitar maybe once or twice in all those years hmm. and then I sold a few guitars and then I got rid of all my albums and my MC jackets and my Doc Martens and my shirts and everything. And at the time, I didn't care. Now, um, you wish you could have that stuff back. Yeah, and all my expensive comic books I got rid of also. So it was like that transition. Ah, I'm never going to do that shit again. Right. And then um, I started going to the Duff's at the old location. And I ran into a lot of people that I knew from back in the day, like Mike Pacheco and Scott McPartland, guys like that. And I saw they were still playing, and I met the Kill Code dudes, and I started going to see them play, and I'm saying to myself, I could do this. I could still play. So I picked up the guitar again, and watching everybody else play and wanting to regain what I had before gave me a lot of incentive, and I just kept playing, and I never looked back. Well, well let's try backtrack a little bit and okay. just say... What do you think was going on with you musically during the time you weren't playing guitar, like listening to all that hip hop? How did that does that have an influence on you today? Um, I mean, what stuff? Well, I could rap a ton of hip hop songs. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you know what? It, it was it was just I always stayed musical. It was just that I went down a different road, sure, and then veered back on. I, mean, I went through a heavy hip hop phase. I went through a reggae phase. You know, like yeah. 
you know, it was like pretty hardcore with the reggae phase because the guys I was hanging out with were like, you need to get rid of all of your heavy metal records. You know, they'd be like, you can't have a Venom record and listen to reggae because Venom's satanic. And I'm like, yeah, they're about as satanic as fucking my shoe is satanic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you know, it's everything's a gimmick. Sure. And there are some people who really live what they preach. But for the most part, if a band like Venom, they come out with like the devil on the album cover and they talk all this crazy shit that was like groundbreaking at the yeah. time so that that but i mean everybody knows now that they were just fucking around yeah and yeah, they course. sold a lot of records as a result yeah and it's still uh relevant now i mean they launched a movement that takes it way more seriously than they ever did oh totally yeah like you know these people talking about burning churches and yeah, stuff well, like they, that I mean, what else little... are they gonna do over there <laughs> keep warm they got right? to do. <laughs> <laughs> keep warm in norway um, so but yeah, yeah, I always stayed musical. I never, um, I never, not listened to music. Did you ever have any aspirations to get into the to the rap game, as it were? Uh, no, no, um, not to perform. Um, it, it was more like uh, it was more like living in a rap video. So you'd, you'd hang out and <laughs> it's funny because I was the only white dude going to the clubs and I had all this flamboyant jewelry and watches and cars and all of that shit and everybody loved me I like, got along with everybody and it was really cool mm-hmm. and um, you know did a lot of partying a lot of fighting a lot of getting in trouble a lot of things I shouldn't have done but um it was also like when I got back into the metal scene, I still went to strip clubs here and there, and I still keep in touch with my rapper friends. And, um, you know, I don't see them as much, but we're still friends. I still respect what they do, and I still support them. And, um, you know, uh, but I never, um, uh, you know, it's funny, I actually did a, a recording back in the early, late 90s, early 2000, I had a, an acoustic piece that I did in the 80s, and the DJ at the strip club made me record this one little lead, and he put it onto this acoustic thing, and he, when I used to come to the strip club, he used to scream over the microphone, he used to say, Rob the heartthrob has entered the building. <laughs> it was funny, you know, yeah. like, all right. So he called it heartthrob, and he used to play it, and he put a techno beat to it. It didn't fit well, but it was it was cool. Hey, you know, your little hey, it's Norm thing. Yeah, Showing yeah, up but cheers. Um, but it, you know, it was if I could redo things, there were some things I would not do mm-hmm. if I did everything over. But probably about ninety five percent, I don't regret, or you know, uh, well. When you decided to pick up the guitar again, did you feel like it just came back to you all at once, or was no. it a struggle? Did you have to like relearn everything? I mean, because well, you know now you're known as this like shredder player who fucking you know yeah I, can fire off notes yeah I, I that like that came, nobody's business but uh, that came over time. But when I picked it up and like I was playing, let's say like cover songs that I used to play with my old band or just knew there was a lot of uh a lot of rust you know you had to get the cobwebs out and the only way you do that is by practicing and things come back to you relatively quickly excuse me and uh it it was that was also incentive because if there was something that i used to play fluently then I couldn't play it or I hit wrong notes. I'm like, fuck, I have to get this. I have to get it the way I used to. And um, I just, you know, like I, you have to do it slowly, obviously. And then uh, you just build on top of that and top of that. And the whole shredding thing came out of like, came out of like left field. Um, like, I love Ingve Malmsteen. He's like, my favorite guitar player, him, Eddie Van Halen, and Jimi Hendrix. They're my biggest influences. And I always, like, I started learning some Ingve songs, and I want to play fast like Ingve and Paul Gilbert and guys like that. 
So I didn't have a band or anything, but I wanted to, you know, I guess I wanted to make a mark in the music scene. So there was a benefit, I think it was like 2012, at uh, St. Vitus um, for Jessica Pimentel. They did mm-hmm. a fundraiser, and a bunch of neighborhood guys, play, uh, scene guys like uh, Maven's Old Bandy Only and Kill Code and guys from Ten Ton Mojo and stuff like that. So everybody put on a performance. And I was like, you know what? Why don't I just do like a guitar solo? See see what happens. And I went up there for about five minutes and did a guitar solo. And I was nervous. Like my right leg was twitching. But it felt good because then like people were complimenting me. And I don't, I mean, looking back at it now, I'm like, wow, it was terrible. But at the time, I thought it was, it was good. Right. People liked it. And then... I was like, I have to record these songs that I have. So during the process of recording my first CD, I would do shreds at different venues. It's like I did that shred, and then a month later, I got to do one at Irving Plaza, and I did twice at Bowery Ballroom. And, you know, uh, like I never saw anybody else really do that. And it was like packed house or whatever, and it was, it was cool. It really made me feel good that everybody was watching me, and then people cheered, and... Um, during the time I was doing my CD, it made me relevant in the scene. You know, uh, my name, like I didn't drop off for a year and then come back. So it was pretty cool. Cool. So I don't remember exactly how we met. How do we meet? Do you remember? We were probably drunk somewhere. Yeah, I, I want to say it was Three of Cups. Yeah, probably. Because I was at Duff's a lot and Ed Farsty told me one night, he goes, oh, you should come with me. We're going to go Three of Cups. He goes, uh, friends with Mickey and everybody there. And I think Ed introduced us. He was DJing or hanging out or something. Right. And uh, <clears throat> that's when we got to talking and then we found out that... Uh, Greg Petrowski. Greg Petrowski and, um, the, uh, you know, like Marie and everybody and Patty and the old garage crew, we called them. We used to hang out at the garage. Right. And... Um, I think that's how we met, yeah, probably from Ed at Three of Cups on a drunken, boisterous evening. So how did we end up, how did I end up inviting you to become a part of what is now the F-Bomb well, comp- I remember, company? Well, you, um, the F-Bombs were still being done at the Delancey, yep. and um, you always invited me down, and Ed was working the door. So I was like, yeah, I'll come down. Ed's working. And, and I got to see everybody play. And then um, when you did, uh, I don't know if it was number 46. It was the Metallica F-bomb. Right. I asked to play. And that was my first time playing with a band right. in, got to be 15 years. Wow. And uh, I did Four Horsemen and Whiplash. I think you sang one and Craig Mann sang one. I think I did Whiplash, yeah. And I, I think I played both songs with Joe Hogan. Okay. And I think, um, I don't know who was on, HK or Fernando on bass. I think and, it was HK. Uh, yeah. And um, Nate Honor on drums. Okay. And it was, it was a really good feeling to get up there. And I played two Metallica songs that I, I knew well from back in the day and... Um, and then I think I played a hardcore one and then you, you approached me one night and asked me if I wanted to, um, be like a partner with you there. And, uh, I was like, yeah, sure. It was, it was cool. It was, you know, it was definitely, uh, one of the best moves I've made in the music scene because I, I really enjoy it. And I was glad to, I was honored to be asked to be a part of it. And it's almost 80 uh, F-bombs ago at this point, or more, right? 90 F-bombs. Yeah, what are we, uh, 134? 134. 134? Yeah. And that was like, it had to be in the 40s, 46, 48. So it's like 85 F-bombs since then. That's a long time, man. Yeah, wow. That's like a decade almost. Yeah, shit. And and I met, through the F-bomb, I met a lot of great Not people. No, it's like uh, 70. 70. Yeah. 70. Still, oh, it's veteran status. Yeah. You were the first person I ever asked to be, or Mike Soss joined at the same time, I think, as you, on a regular I, basis. I think Mike may have been there a little bit before me. Well, you know what was going on. Well, if he's not, we have to work out these percentages. No. <laughs> <laughs> the point of, you know, what happened was that Wendigo and I split. Yeah. And that's when I needed 
new people to come in and help me do the show. Yeah, so that that was probably uh, that'd be what like uh, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, something like that. It's about seven or eight years ago. Yeah. It so is, yeah, uh, yeah, cl- around that time. Um, and I, I definitely met a lot of cool people, a lot of good friends uh, to this day. You know. Yeah, I remember the old days sitting in the booth over at Delancey with Stormy in the back. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, Before they had a bathroom downstairs. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was like CB's when they had no bathroom. We had to pee in a lot next to the record canteen. Yeah, and then uh, we had Go-Go Girls back then and stuff. It was a good time. Yeah, it definitely was. And then we'd all go to Three of Cups and hang out till whatever hour and then come here and play darts. Yep. <laughs> till whatever hour. Yeah, till whatever hour. My favorite quote to Rob was, you got anything open? And we're not going to talk about anything beyond that. I'd be like, hey, Rob, you got anything open? Yeah, you want to switch? Like swap? <laughs> trade? Trade, trade. Yeah. You know, we were trading uh, uh, recipes. Pokemon cards. Pokemon. Recipes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pokemon recipes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, it was cool, though. And, you know, I got to meet a lot of cool people and um, <clears throat> get to meet, unfortunately, a lot of assholes in the same uh, sentence. Yeah, well, but <clears throat> at this point, just we like weed the, them out. The regular society you're gonna have your percentage of both oh yeah no matter what you do where you go nothing's gonna be perfect there's always gonna be some fucking retard asshole to fucking throw a monkey wrench in the works so when did you start putting together maniac rise um i started i released my first cd in 2013 and it was um Six songs that I had written, two from 86, 87, two from 90, 91, and two from 2012, 2013, and a pretty uh, vast spans of time. I wanted to put the band together. I always liked that name for some reason. I think Greg Petrowski came up with that name in the 80s for some kind of... Maniac Rise? Yeah, for some side project we never did. So, um, I'll cut that out so you don't get sued by Greg Petrowski. I'm just, (laughs) (laughs) um, he ain't listening. No, no, he, he, he gives no fucks, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I went, I was hanging out like, uh, at the time a lot with Kill Code and, um, Stacey O'Dell who produced Kill Code records. So I told him that I wanted to record a CD. So what we did was I went to the studio and, I laid down, uh, Stacy um, programmed the drums. I did all the guitars. I did all the bass. I wrote all the lyrics, all the music. And I was supposed to have different um, <clears throat> different musicians guest vocals on it. So um, I did one hair metal song with, uh, had Tommy Kilcode sing on, but that's not going to be released on any Maniac Rise. It's going to be on something else, but... Um, he did that song, and then um, Jessica Pimentel sang on a song, Killer at Large. And then I was going to get uh, Danny from Malignancy, but he was on tour. Sal from Sworn Enemy, his house got destroyed by Sandy. And then I was like, fuck. I was like, you know what? Let me try and sing one song. So I sang one, and I liked the way it came out. I never did lead vocals on a CD before. So I did the rest of the CD myself on vocals. And um, 2013, it released. So I was like, this is what I have. Because if I say, oh, I want band members to have songs, and what do you sound like? If I say I sound like A or B, they could think it sounds like C or D. So this is what I have recorded. This is me singing. Um, if you like it, I want, you know, I want to get musicians. And uh, I... Uh, took my first plunge when I got Maven on vocals. <laughs> it was a character, but... Um, Which Maven? McCoy or... Uh, uh, Omega? I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I don't know what that's good. I don't know what that's well, all Maven about. Maven McCoy is his hip-hop name, and Maven Omega is his metal name. I see. So, yeah. I never asked. <laughs> it's best. <laughs> it's best shot. I'll ask him when he comes in for an interview. <laughs> uh, yo. <laughs> if he ever shows up. Um, Love you, Maven. Um, so yeah I got Maven and then uh, we needed a bass player and a a drummer but then I had a million people asking me if they wanted to play guitar 
and uh, a second guitar player. And I was like, I've always been in bands with two guitar players, but the music is a little intricate and like weird timing. So it would really bother me if I got another guitar player and he fucked up something that I wrote that would not sit well with me. Right. Any really good guitar player was already in a band. Right. Or didn't like that music or whatever. So um, we got uh, Dave Sussman and Servo for bass and drums. And uh, we played our first show. Um, you played with us our first show at uh, Knitting Factory, December 5th, 2014. Okay. With Ten Ton Mojo, Mojo yeah. and um, Strodekin, uh Four. Four. Yep. And um, that was our first show. And, you know, it, it went... I think it went pretty well. Uh, I think the name backwards is Fornicators. Is Fornicators, it? yes. Okay. I think they changed it actually now, but I don't know. I haven't seen them in a while, but... Yeah, not since that show have I seen them. Yeah, I don't think so either, <laughs> to tell you the truth. But uh, but yeah, we, we played. It was Snake Canyon, Ten Ton Mojo, and uh, uh, Strodekin. And... Um, that was one of our first shows with Jerry. I think was Jerry. No, I think uh, was that Frank Ferrer. I think Texas was still in a band. Really? Okay. Yeah. Hmm. <clears throat> I'm almost positive it was Texas. Yeah, it was because the day you got hurt at the Murph Murphy's Law thing, Texas was playing drums for you. Yeah, at, but at, uh, that was before that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was definitely before. I get that. the shows mixed up sometimes because we have we, a we have a picture from us playing at Knitting Factory that we used on the back of our album, and Jerry's in the band. So I'm like, I don't remember. Well, Whatever. Yeah, well, either important. way, it's it was December 5th, 2014, I believe. Okay. And that was our first show. I can't believe Snake Canyon's been around for five years already. I can't believe we've been around this long and I didn't kill Maven yet. <laughs> <laughs> yet. Yet. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, that was it. We, you know, we played, played some good shows, uh, you know, and um, we had a CD release show. I believe you were there at Webster Hall in February of 2017 for a second EP. Um, Joey Z from Life of Agony produced it. I was there. Yes. Uh, we had, uh, it was a good show. I mean, we had 276 people pay and we sold 500 in merch. Nice. So it was a good night. We had a good um, crowd response and I, I think we played pretty well. I drank some of your beers backstage. I believe you did. I think I Gotta did. Gotta change that code. <laughs> um, when I say code, you say, you say change. Change, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't drink, so you could have my beers. That's why. I'm just helping yeah. you out, essentially. You know, it's. Uh, I don't want you to get tempted, right? Yeah. This after Give me that. I got to drink all the beers near Rob, because <laughs> he wasn't a beer drinker back then anyway. I was until I became allergic to it. That's right. And thank God I had hard liquor to fall back on. <laughs> I would have been on the Williamsburg Bridge with an anvil tied around my neck. <laughs> well, now you're good. You're clean. Clean and sober. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's good. I don't miss it. How long has it been? Uh, I haven't drank. It's going to be like six years. Wow. And I can't uh, believe that that's been six years. It feels like yesterday. It's got, yeah, it's got to be six years. And uh, I haven't uh, philandered in anything else in over four years, maybe five years. Time so flies, man. Time flies when you're fucking sober and bored. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was no, just talking, you know, Tommy was just in here, Tommy Von Voigt, and mm -hmm. he's been sober all his life. Oh. And uh, Paul Berlino has been in here, and he's also been sober all of his life. So They're going to fall off the I'm fucking I'm definitely going to interview somebody <laughs> next who's going to get drunk with me while we do the interview. <laughs> Craigman. <laughs> yeah, right? Well, that's, good, that's, gonna dig, that's just going to degrade me. Dude, dude. I, gonna, me, I, I should interview Drew Blood and Craigman on the same day. Oh, God. Yeah. You interviewed from uh, Otto's bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, from the Three of bathroom is where I should be doing those interviews. If you know what I'm talking about, huh? Yeah. Hey, you get it? Uh... All right, so uh, let's talk a little bit about F-Bomb. Okay. So tell me some of your favorite memories of moments. You don't have to be performing, but just things that have happened. Um, well, I have to say the funniest moment had to be when... Uh, I couldn't destroy that Stonehenge with the cricket bat. <laughs> and I, don't, I forgot who made that. Was it Mike? No, me and King Morgan. Oh, and King Morgan. And, and, and I think uh, Dina. 
Dina Lair helped us. Oh, well, it was... Uh, we had like an arts and crafts day, <laughs> and Dina and I went shopping for all the stuff to make all the props for Spinal Tap, including the okay. pods and the Stonehenge and whatever else we had, the sandwiches, I think. No, that was Mike, Mike Sauce did the sandwiches. <laughs> but Morgan had this uh, courtyard in his building because he was in the building behind the building. Mm-hmm. So to get to his building, there's like this little courtyard. I'm the building behind the building. <laughs> right. So we had to spray all this toxic shit, like the stuff that was on that Stonehenge. Yeah, it was like liquid cement or something. Yeah, I don't it was know. something <laughs> like that. And we, we built that stuff, and yeah, then I got a cricket bat. I think Mike yeah, bought the cricket yeah, bat. Yeah, it was funny. I, I remember at first I was like, these fucking guys, they're playing a joke on me. And I'm hitting the fucking <clears> thing as hard as I can, and I'm... <laughs> And then it got stuck in a cricket bat. Yep. There's <laughs> video. I, I think, think there's video. Yeah, I think it's still on YouTube or something. And then yeah. I remember kicking it into the crowd and yes. walking, storming off stage. I think you smashed it with your feet and then kicked it into the crowd. Yeah, something, yeah. yeah. I, I think I had other... Well, I had to put my foot on it to get the cricket bat out. Right. <laughs> I wanted to do other things with the cricket bat. I mean, with the Stonehenge that we didn't do, like the last one, I wanted to make a Stonehenge pinata. And have oh. it filled with fucking, like, I don't know. 20 bags and joints. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bad stuff. Straws. Or the other one was to have Nixon inside the Stonehenge. And then the Stonehenge would come to life and start dancing. <laughs> and then Nick would pop out and be the fucking well, elf. Well, you'd have to let me know. I don't want to kill Nixon with the right, cricket exactly. bat. <laughs> I don't know if you could kill Nixon. No, no. <laughs> I miss Nick. I was just talking to him. Nick anyway, is good people, man. Yeah, man. But yeah, that, that was definitely one of the funniest memories and uh, another good memory actually was the metal jukebox we did. I know we debacled the Life of Agony song. It was a little rough, but for the Circle of Tyrants and uh, White Zombie song, went over well, and I was happy to play with Mike Pacheco. So we've been friends since about 1986, and that was the first time we ever shared a stage together and jamming or anything. And we, our bands knew each other for... Years and years and years. Well, that's that's what's special about F Bomb is yeah. that it brings all these people together from everywhere. People yeah. that and I got to play the SOD Anthrax with Mike also, which was cool. That was fun. That was a good show. Yeah, over at uh, Lucky Thirteen. Yeah, my uh, my vocal debut. Yeah, <laughs> the Milano Mosh, and then we get a text, a photo from Jimmy Gestapo and and uh, Billy Milano. Billy Milano that they're in town, but they're not at the show. Yeah, I, I saw Billy Milano the next night yeah. at the... Um, it would have been cool if he had show. shown up. That would have been, like, awesome, but... Yeah, I told him I sang Milano Mosh and Pussy Whipped. He's like, ah, yeah, man. <laughs> but uh, I didn't recognize him. I haven't seen him in 500 years, and he had a Giant beard, beard and long hair. Yeah. And he's, like, standing there staring at me. I'm like, fuck you, man. <laughs> but um, also at the rehearsal, I remember for Pussy Whipped, you were like, uh, do you need the words? I was like, no. You're like, no? <laughs> no, I've been singing this song for 800 years. So, well, that's a long time, man. Well. I did not know that this is breaking news, ladies and gentlemen. Rob is 800 years old. 802. 802. Yeah. <laughs> but that album only came out like 30 years ago, but he's been singing it for 800 years. I, I scribbled it onto a cave wall. Okay. Years ago. Pussy whipped. Yeah. Cave poem by <laughs> Rob. Fred Flintstone jammed with me. So, tell me about some of this stuff that happens in F Bombs that you were not too happy about. What what infuriates you the most, besides me? I was just gonna say you do, man. <laughs> no, yeah, I know um, that's the that's the answer no, everybody's actually, gonna give first. No, I I I wouldn't say you because you wouldn't be infuriated or pissed off if people didn't infuriate you. It's like uh, reservoir dogs. If they wouldn't have done what I told them not to do, they'd still be alive now. Right. But it, all right, this is what bothers me. I don't give a fuck who gets mad. Break I'm, it down, I'm, Rob. I'm not going to name names, but uh, when everybody gets together and they play an F-bomb, it's great. Then all of a sudden, people become prima donnas and need to get X amount of dollars to play. And then they still show up late or they still uh, don't give it their all and shit like that. That bothers me. I, I could understand, you know, compensate somebody. That's fine. I, I don't. That doesn't bother me much, but when you're getting a couple of bucks to do something and then you act like you're God Almighty, you know, that's that bothers me. And if uh, people who don't do much 
and expect compensation and then get cunty when they don't you know we could check them off the list i don't i don't need them you know i mean you're you do a lot more than i do obviously with all the bookings and all the arranging of the the bands and if i was in your shoes i would have committed mass murder already well you never know <laughs> it could be coming all right well yeah. you let me know i'll drive <laughs> i haven't lost my edge i'm still pissed at people yeah no i i but you you know you know people are like oh what the fuck is morgan pissed off about he's pissed off because grown men and women can't do something as simple as show up on time for something you know i mean yeah i mean it's all like, that's basically that's the whole thing about f bomb be where you're supposed to be yeah be ready to do it or and don't after or f- don't do it after the f bomb then you fucking yeah go do whatever, party, the fuck whatever you, you want to do go home wherever but that kind of bothers me and then um i don't know certain people been in a lot of f bombs and give you a look instead of a hello you know i'm not looking for anybody to kiss my ass i don't really care but it's just like you know if i see somebody all the time i say hello to them it's a family i think i like to make it like a family but yeah sometimes inside your own family there's going to be that stuff you know yeah and maybe sometimes People don't understand each other or don't know where each other's coming from. Yeah, you know, and it's like if you, even if you don't like somebody personally, you know, that's fine. Don't act like a dick when you're part of something with them, you know. Like, uh, you know, if we're doing a song and let's say I hated you and you hated me, but for the sake of the show, we're doing a song together. Sure. I'm not going to fucking give you an attitude yeah. or act like a dick because I'm doing a song. With I you. swallow my pride a lot to get things done. Yeah, you have with to. With the show. Because People don't if realize I was just, that, though. If I was just full on the way, you know, the way that people see me now is 50% of what I want to say and think. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But if I was to do that all the time, there would be nobody in F bomb. Exactly. <laughs> and there would be no F bomb. And if the people who make us pissed off were to try and organize an F bomb, there would be no F bomb. Well, you know, if you're not a reliable person, you can't get things like this done, I guess. Yeah. I mean, this kind of leads me into something. I hope you don't mind me bringing it up. But okay. recently on social media, okay. I you think find I know what yourself in a bunch of uh, controversy with some people. You've been getting banned on Facebook yeah. a lot. And you made some comments that have pissed people off. And I want to see if you wanted to address that because... I've actually, to be honest with you, had people that we both know come up to me and say, what's up with your boy and stuff. And I'm going to say to them, Rob is Rob. I know Rob as a person and not over. I think sometimes things on social media get blown out of proportion because. Oh, yeah. yeah, That's been the the trend of life right now. Yeah. But I know you'd be a good guy. And I know that you were brought up a certain way and you're going to do whatever it is that you you think you should do. Yeah, you know if I can't look, I, I I know exactly what you're talking about, and I don't want to get too specific, but no, if you want to address it, because I think people might want to understand what you, where you're coming from. Yeah, you know, it, it, things. Look, I, I'm I'm far from a racist or a homophobe or anything like that, and a lot of times I like to joke around, but when, like, when they had this uh, terror attack, right? Um. I use a derogatory word to describe the attacker and people were assuming that it was meant to be another word that is derogatory, which it wasn't. And, um, I've gotten unfriended. I've gotten, uh, reported and it's social media. You know what I mean? I'm not standing on a soapbox preaching anything. I just feel as though if you're a terrorist piece of shit, and you kill innocent people, then it doesn't matter how you're referred to. But I'm not referring to any of my friends or somebody just walking on the street in a derogatory way. Right. And the people who unfriended me or whatever, hey, that's all good. I'm not going to say no shit to them or whatever. I, It's not in my best interest to confront them over that. You know, I've known the people for quite a few years, and there was never any issues between us except that people didn't like 
what I referred to a terrorist as. So, and and they took it out of context that I meant something else, and I didn't. And right. I, well, I mean, people might say that because you use that word, the N word, a lot. Yeah, but in I, everyday conversation, and I know that it's lo- it's not loaded with hatred. It's no, it's not. Being, you and, grew up in a certain, you went to school. You were one of the only white kids. You hung out in a hip-hop community for a long time. You get comfortable with using and, certain terms. And, and, uh, and, you know... The black people I would use it to call me that, too. Right. And it's just in... It's like, yo, what's up, bro? Stuff like that. But you just say that. And I don't mean it. You know, I don't mean it derogatory. Right. But if people... The way I look at it, like, you know... I'm things 40, are going to get taken out of context on the internet. They always yeah, do. Yeah, some girl actually took the post I made, screenshotted it, or reposted it on her wall, and then above it wrote her interpretation of what I said, which were different words, including the N-word and that, and I never used it. So I was just like, all right, whatever. And like they, I know the, I knew the girl for a long time ago, uh, you know, around the scene and everything, but not once has she ever seen me play, not once has she liked the picture, not once has she commented on anything, but... Somehow she must be looking at my stuff because she sees a post that she don't like and it triggers her and then she's posting it on her wall and all these people start chiming in that I don't know calling me names making me look like a jerk off. But you know what? I don't care. I deleted her. But if people I know for a long time want to hate me for taking a word I use in a in a non-derogatory way and wanting you know, or assuming I'm using, assuming a word is being used in a different te- context and they want to unfriend me, hey, that's fine. But, you know, I, I'm i 47 years old. I don't, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. But I'm not going to go up to the people and be like, yo, you a fucking asshole or whatever. Right. I, I don't give a shit. If I rant on faith, I ranted because a terrorist killed innocent people. Right. And as far as I'm concerned, it's a piece of shit. But people seem to defend them in the sense saying, well, you can't talk to him like that. Well, yeah, he has, to me, they should have shot him dead in the street. And that's well, my view on anybody who commits an act of terror. I understand that. But, you know, people, you know. I just wanted to give you an opportunity to address this because some, yeah, somebody might be listening to this podcast. I understand. And look, there's no animosity between uh, that person and myself. I'm, in fact, friends with that person on my other profile that I make up for when I get banned on my original one. And, you know, nothing was ever said. I'm not going to... I mean, I don't know specifically who we're talking about here. I'm just saying that I don't, you know. But there are people that have come up to me and said, uh, <laughs> we could talk about it afterward. But, yeah. You know, yeah, I just want to yeah, bring look, this up because this is the forum to talk. Yeah, I don't look, want this I, out I don't, at all. And like they say, the views... Um, expressed on Rob's wall are not necessarily the views of those of F-bomb, okay? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I just want to get that out there. If I say something, I'm not speaking on F-bomb's behalf. I'm speaking on my own personal behalf. And uh, if people want to condemn me or get mad at me, then, hey, that's up to them. And that makes them never been a friend to begin with to just swing the axe instead of talking to me first and asking me what I meant or whatever. But, you know, we addressed it. That's that's cool, man. I, I just I don't wanted care. to bring it up. I hope you don't mind. We talked about nah, it. Nah, I don't, I don't mind. Cool. I didn't want to, like, uh, ambush you. Trigger me? Shit. <laughs> I don't think you could be triggered. Nah. <laughs> no, I don't. Even if you own Continental, I don't think you could be triggered. <laughs> but, uh, all right, so, like, we got about five minutes left. Let's talk a little bit about what do you want to see out of the future of F-Bomb. What are you looking forward to? Um, I mean, I know we've got some projects in the works, like the documentary. I, I, I'd really, and this podcast. Yeah, I'd really like to see like this podcast become uh, a regular thing and get a lot of likes and views and you know be something we could do on a steady basis. And as far as like the documentary and everything, everybody's putting so much work into it, and I really hope that it'll be a success. A success. Whereas, uh, um, radiator. Don't worry. They're breaking in. They come they're coming to get you. It's social to take justice me away. warriors. <laughs> um, I'd really like it to become something like uh, 
like Drew Stone's doing the New York Hardcore Chronicles. Right. Interview everybody, and they make a movie, have a screening and everything. That would be really cool to get something to that level. Sure. And um, That's part of like what I'm trying to do with this project is to, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the people that are in F-Bomb come from all sorts of musical backgrounds across New York City. Oh, yeah, yeah, Hardcore, definitely. metal, punk, R&B, rock and roll, whatever. Metal, everything. And so I just want to get them in here and... So a lot of these people have never toured. They may not even have regular bands, but they're talented people. Yeah. And they have stories to tell. And it's Exactly. It's, and and somebody from like let's say you and I with our metal like a diverse musical background might metal some, and hardcore. Yeah, metal, hardcore, punk, everything, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um diverse. if you have somebody who's just into like uh like let's say like AM Gold stuff, they might have some cool fucking stories about Stuff that we wouldn't have experienced because of sure. uh, our background, but um, yeah, I think I, you know I'd like to see this get a lot of hits and a lot of uh, exposure, and I'd like to see uh, I'd like to be around for F Bomb One Thousand. Well, that's, that's probably that's not going to happen. Take a long time. We have to do a couple of months. <laughs> yeah, uh, but maybe two hundred. Let's, let's aim for two hundred now. Yeah, you know we'll th- get there. Something reasonable. Um, what are you planning on with uh, next move with Maniac Rise? Uh, we just in the we're completion of another uh, new song, and um, we're looking to do another big show. Um, really big show. Yeah, really big show. Uh, Ed Sullivan might host it actually. Good. Uh, he can host the one thousandth F bomb. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll do the hologram of him, and. Uh, you know, maybe at like Gramercy or um, Brooklyn Steel or something like that. And uh, if we don't play that much, each show we do could be like a bigger production, have some new merch, some new uh, material, and um, talks about doing like a new video and a couple more songs. We do another recording. Well, I told you we got a date for the Celtic Frost show, February, no, February 2nd. So if we can still have an opener. Okay. We'll on. Yeah, uh, I know Dave said he's going away two weeks in January. Right. So he should be back. I mean, I wanted him. He's supposed to do the Hellhammer set. So if he's around, you guys play too. If I don't know what the you know. Anyway, we'll talk about this after. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll see him uh, a week from tomorrow at re- rehearsal. Sorry, we just went into like a personal conversation there for a second. <laughs> Did you text um, that guy? Where was is he hitting? <laughs> yeah. So anyway, let's wrap it up. Yeah, man. I uh, want to give a big shout out and thank you to my brother, Rob Castoria, Big Rob. Yeah, man. It's a, it was great to be here, bro. Thanks for coming in. Hell yeah, man. And uh, tradition dictates that uh, at the end of each interview, I ask the person to name a band, one of their favorite bands, and I will play a track by that band that I will pick to on the play on the outro. So say a band that you dig, and I will throw down a track by them to say, thanks a lot, Rob, for doing this show. Um, I'll, I got to go with my favorite. Got to go with Judas Priest. Hey, man, that's cool. Tommy Von Voigt just asked me to play some Lisa Lisa and the Cult Jam. Shit, honkers. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect ending. Great. Honkers, everybody. <laughs> All right, Rob, thanks a lot. This my is pleasure, bro. Super Morgan, F-Bomb right. Podcast. I'll see you uh, in a few minutes. Yeah, yeah we're, we're still going to be here. <laughs> Signing off. Thanks, everybody, for listening and tuning in. And uh, we'll talk to you next time around. Peace out. Peace. Peace.